What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and this is the podcast where we'll talk about all things fitness, wellness, rehab, and more importantly, the constant pursuit of knowing better in order to do better for the people that we serve. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and today I'm very excited to have Dr. Ryan Van Neuenheis, aka the Barbell Doc, on the show with me today. Thanks for hopping on with me today, Ryan. Yeah, of course, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, good job on the pronunciation of the last name. Yeah, I got a little help before the uh, recording started, <laughs> so don't be that impressed, listeners. Um, so super excited to have you on, actually, as my first guest on the show. Um, so. For listeners that may uh, not know Ryan or not follow him on Instagram, again, his page is The Barbell Doc, which we'll be sure to cover again at the end if you want to uh, follow any of his stuff. But he's someone in the field of physical therapy that I've looked up to for a few years, um, you know, even while I was still in physical therapy school. And he um, helped mm-hmm. me return back to um, some CrossFit as well in the past. So definitely someone that I respect highly and couldn't be more excited to jump on and have you on the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, but for anyone that isn't aware of you, uh, I was hoping you could start with just a little bit of uh, background info about yourself, you know, maybe um, just a little bit of where you're from, you know, where you went to physical therapy school and that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I first got interested in PT um, when I was a high school wrestler. I suffered a right rotator cuff and labral repair, so or labral tear. So I had to get both those repaired. And then I had some pretty long physical therapy afterwards to get me back into actual wrestling shape. Um, so starting with that, I first got introduced to the profession. I just kind of immediately fell in love with it. Um, I've always been somebody who likes exercise and finding that you could actually use that to help people come back from injuries and deal with pain was something that I was really interested in. So after that initial exposure, I did a lot of um, job shadowing with various clinicians around me where I was living in Manchester. And then I eventually decided to go to Quinnipiac University for it. So I went to QU for both my undergrad and graduate school, and I graduated a little over five years ago. So I've been out five years doing pretty much just outpatient orthopedic practice since then. That's awesome. So it sounded like you kind of knew early on that physical therapy was what you wanted to do um, just because of your experience, you know, getting injured in high school. Yeah, I was really lucky in that sense. I mean, I'm not upset about getting injured or having to undergo surgery or anything like that because it's what led me to this profession. And that's actually a pretty common story with a lot of people that I actually went to school with. We're all athletes who got hurt at some point in our careers and had an exposure to PT ourselves and then developed an interest in it. That's awesome. Um, now, did you happen to have, you know, a good experience? Like when you think back, um, you know, physical therapy, uh, therapist that you worked with, or if it was multiple, um, you know, was there anything looking back that they did that, you know, you can kind of see yourself that, you know, that's something that kind of got you to connect with them better or, you know, what made your experience so positive, you know, besides the fact that they helped you get back to doing, you know, the sport that you loved, um, you know, anything that like really stood out to you about like, wow, this is kind of really what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember the actual ph- physical therapist's name who I worked with, um, but she was a younger woman who was only a couple years out of school, kind of like I am now. And um, she just kind of took a really big interest in my case because at that clinic, it was an outpatient ortho clinic, but they didn't work with like a ton of athletes. So me being one of the few athletes that she got to work with, she just kind of took a bigger interest in my case. 
and kind of worked with me really, really hard to get me back to where I needed to be in order to not re-injure myself once I got back on the mat after that surgery. So I think just seeing like how much she cared about having a return to sport was really what kind of connected me with that and really sparked my interest. That's awesome. Um, at any point when you were in physical therapy school, I know, you know, you did your undergrad and grad work at Quinnipiac. Um, did you ever kind of second guess your decision from the star or, you know, did you have a pretty good experience overall and kind of stuck with the plan throughout? Um, I never really second guessed my decision. Um, the way that it worked at QU was you went for three and a half years for your undergrad degree and then three years for your grad degree. And on our third year of our undergraduate, um, course, was when we started to get like all the actual physical therapy related courses. So we had like neuroanatomy, kinesiology, um, A&P. We had a huge block of all of these introductory courses for these various physical therapy topics. And that year was really hard because up until then, the amount of studying and amount of stuff that you had to learn wasn't nearly that high. So that third year was definitely kind of like uh, an eye-opening year just kind of showing you how much work you were going to have to do. But I mean, besides that, I never really second guessed myself. I've been lucky in that I've always known what I want to do with my career. That's good. I know, you know, it sounds like it was pretty challenging and maybe, I don't know if they use those, you know, courses to maybe weed some people out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, I can remember being back in PT school and we really started getting into the, you know, aside from like the basic you know, anatomy and everything like that, you know, some of the courses, like more of the musculoskeletal labs and that's kind of, that kind of reinvigorated me into like, okay, like now, and now we're getting into the stuff that I really came here for. Did you kind of find that at all too? Or Yeah, absolutely. Once I got into more of like the actual orthopedic courses, musculoskeletal one, two, and three, kind of like what you were talking about. That's when I got really excited about because I always knew that I wanted to go the outpatient orthopedic route because I loved working with really active people, lifters, crossfitters, all those sorts of people. So those classes had a lot more um, of my interest than things like cardiopulmer. Neuroanatomy, I found was still very interesting, but I knew that I didn't want to go the neuro route. So it was more the orthopedic and musculoskeletal type courses that really got me going and piqued my interest. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me uh, a lot. Um, so I know that you were, you were a wrestler as far as your sporting history. Um, can you give us a little background on what your you know, training history was like, you know, training back you know, as, a, as a wrestler, um, and then maybe how that's changed over the years? And you know, if you're kind of what you initially wanted, you used maybe resistance training for has changed to what you use it for now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, so my mom is a personal trainer. She has been all my life. So once I was like 12 or 13, she kind of introduced me to weightlifting. And when I got into high school and first started actually wrestling, I was a scrawny little kid. I weighed like 107 naturally, and I wrestled in the 112 weight class. Okay. So <laughs> that, like entering high school and competitive wrestling at that weight, it kind of really made me realize that I need to put on a little bit of weight. I really need to get stronger. That would help improve my athletic performance. So after that first year, um, it I started really actually training more seriously and really just getting into strength training in and of itself. And that's kind of developed into my current passion is I'm really in love with weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, all that type of stuff. Any physically demanding barbell training is what I really like. Um, When I was in PT school and when I first got out of PT school, my practice and like what 
exercises I would prescribe to patients was definitely different than what it is now. Um, in the earlier part of my career, it was definitely more like what you would consider corrective exercise focused, a lot of like isolated need strengthening for hip and knee problems, rotator cuff related exercises for shoulder pain, all those sorts of things. But now after being out for a while longer, reading more of the research and just doing continued learning, it's changed to a lot more just like focused, but properly selected resistance training. So I do a lot less of those like isolation-based exercises with my clients and a lot more getting them doing various squatting, deadlifting, pressing, pulling variations, depending on what they need and what their goals are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when people think of, you know, the physical therapy in general, you know, you kind of have that you know, mental image of, you know, some sort of, um, shoulder external rotation with the TheraBand or, you know, doing clamshells and, you know, not that those exercises don't have their, their time and place, but, you know, unfortunately I think in the field as a, as a whole, we tend to, you know, like I said, rely on those kind of lower level exercises, but it sounds like, you know, you have, um, you know, developed now to a point where a lot of you, what you would consider your rehab for your patients kind of looks a lot like more of their, you know, if it's particularly barbell athletes, more of their, their sport. So if, you know, if you're rehabbing someone that's having issue with a squat, um, then you're going to have them do some sort of squat. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, rehab and training are both on the same spectrum, but the only real big difference is that rehab is training in the presence of pain or injury. So just like you would need to properly dose exercise and progress it, you need to do the same thing when you're treating somebody with pain, but you just need to work around the constraints of their injury. Um, like you were saying before, all those exercises definitely do have their place um, in somebody's plan of care if it's appropriate. But I think it's a big issue in a lot of the current DPT curricula that the exercise that we're taught in school and how to progress and dose exercise is definitely kind of underdosed in my opinion. You really only learn about those like various isolation hip exercises. There's not a lot of curricula that actually focus on actual strength training and definitely very few that focus on barbell training. Yeah. Looking back um, at your experience at school, do you like, was, did you ever go over any sort of, you know, barbell lifts or any of like what you would consider maybe the fundamental lifts of like the squat or deadlift, any of that stuff, or it was it more, I know in my experience, my, you know, Therax classes were a lot of, you know, kind of that lower level exercises kind of trying to isolate and target specific musculature, um, you know, with band exercises and stuff like that. Yeah. It, what we learned in school is much lower level compared to like, what I know about strength training. Um, on the rare instances where we would go over something like a squat, it was always just like bodyweight squat or squat to a chair or something like that. Um, there wasn't, there just wasn't a really good or thorough understanding or knowledge of strength training, powerlifting principles, um, strength and conditioning principles, that sort of thing. I know that some schools are definitely starting to shift towards including more of that stuff right now, but it's still not in the mainstream kind of DPT coursework. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, not to, you know, try to give PT school, you know, knock on, knock on that too hard because obviously there's a lot of things that they need to cover and, you know, they're three years of, you know, post-grad work. Um, but I think everyone would agree that kind of incorporating some more strength and conditioning principles is something that, um, would be a nice change to a lot of the, uh, you know, 
DBT curriculum as, as it is typically. Um, but like you're saying, a lot, some programs are now beginning to implement some of those and, you know, elective courses, but, you know, hopefully that can be, you know, like a required course at some point, like that's something that I personally would love to see. Um, now I know that, you know, we've kind of touched on, you know, working with barbell athletes and things like that. Um, you know, what is it specifically about those athletes that kind of motivates you to, to, to kind of have that as, you know, what you call maybe like a niche population, you know, so not, you would typically see in, in an outpatient orthopedic clinic. I think my main driver for that is just the fact that from what I've experienced in PT school, there is such a lack of understanding of barbell training and strength and conditioning principles that I feel as though the population of barbell athletes in general is fairly underserved from like a health provider standpoint. So I know that there's like, there's this running joke that if a crosser goes to their physician or a physical therapist and they say that they hurt their shoulder during a snatch, the providers can say, oh, either stop snatching or there's not going to have any idea of what the snatch actually is and what they need to do to get that person back to doing their goal movements in a way that they want to. So just knowing that there's that lack of understanding in the healthcare field is kind of what drove me to focus more on it and the fact that I just love barbell training myself. So because I love it, I really like working with people who have the same sort of um, thought processes and feelings that I do. So it's just a win-win in mind for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, having that experience myself, you know, as a, when I was a CrossFit coach, you know, I hurt my shoulder playing flag football and, you know, had to, you know, walk my PT at the time through kind of what a snatch was, you know, what a handstand pushup was. And, you know, I remember snatching with a wooden dowel with an ankle weight around it and, and trying to kind of show him what it was supposed to look like. Um, so I know in your opinion, I guess, would you say that, cause unfortunately I would, I, I would like to, you know, unfortunately I've heard that you know, a lot of people would think that maybe all PT is the same. Um, so do you think that some, especially if they're, you know, barbell athletes, let's say, do you think that they're maybe doing themselves a, a bit of a disservice or not getting, you know, as best of a rehab experience they can if they're going to someone that doesn't understand their kind of sport? Yeah, I definitely think that can happen. I mean, if, if a weightlifter goes to someone who doesn't really understand the sport of weightlifting, then a lot of what they're going to be doing is just a lot more of those probably lower level exercises. And they very well may get a lot of less than optimal um, education, in my opinion. So you'll hear a lot of pushback against heavy lifting or overhead pressing, um, squatting with your knees in front of your toes, things of that nature, which are inherent in the sport of weightlifting. Um, and if an athlete goes to see a provider who's not knowledgeable in that area, then a lot of the education they can receive will just be poor education for that patient. It just won't be a very good um, client-provider relationship. There will be a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of miscommunication going on, which is never good for anybody, either provider or patient slash client. Yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely agree with that, too. Um you know, it, let's say if, you know, there's someone that, you know, you see they're a 
practicing uh, clinician right now or someone, you know, a student that's in school and, you know, they think that they maybe want to work with barbell athletes in the future. Um, you know, were there any resources that you used? You know, did you shadow other, you know, coaches or clinicians when you were, you know, in school or once you've got out of school that kind of helped you develop the knowledge base that you have now? Yeah, I mean, I shattered a little bit with some of like the strength coaches at um, the high school that I went to. Um, I did, I learned a lot from my mom, a lot of like my basic weightlifting education I learned from her. Um, and then a lot of it was just spending time in the gym, um, figuring out what worked well for me, what didn't work well, and then reading a lot of research articles, all that sort of stuff um, regarding strength training. And then this is, it's really like a never ending process, which isn't a bad thing. You're always learning something new, whether it's how to cue more efficiently or um, reading current research on EMG to find out what kind of musculature may be more or less active with different variations of exercise. There's always something that you can learn and apply to your training and to your treatment of patients who do participate in strength training or powerlifting or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, you know, love that message of always trying to keep learning. And that's something that's, you know, been important to me and something that will, you know, continue to be important to me as I keep, you know, growing as a clinician. Um, you know, I know you talked about, you know, reading a lot and, you know, trying to stay up to date with the research. And, you know, when you're a full-time clinician, you know, there's, you know, whether it's, you know, just practicing in a clinic or, you know, doing documentation and trying to maintain your own, you know, sanity and, you know, your relationships outside of in, in life, um, you know, how do you make time to try to stay up to date on all that? The biggest things that I do for that is I find groups who I trust that do a lot of uh, literature review. Um, I follow a lot of like clinical athlete and barbell medicines type stuff um, because I know that those are um, very knowledgeable experts in this sort of field. So when they put out research or they do reviews on various topics, and I know that um, the information that they put out is going to be valuable to me specifically. And it can also often lead me into looking at other pieces of uh, research. Because if you just try to stay on top of the research by reading every single paper that comes out that you can, you're going to spend hours and hours and hours, and it's just going to be way too much. But if you can find sources of compiled research that is relevant to your interest or your field, then that's how you're going to save yourself a lot of time and energy and still get the benefit of staying current on the research. Yeah, I've definitely, you know, personally found a lot of um, benefit to, you know, using a few research reviews, you know, like barbell medicine that you mentioned and uh, physio network that I mentioned in a previous episode, but those have been super helpful um, in trying to, you know, stay on top of the research, but, you know, not spend hours, you know, trying to, you know, stay on top of papers and things like that. Cause that, like you said, it's pretty overwhelming to try to read, you know, all the totality of the evidence on a certain topic. Um, you know, something that I mentioned um, earlier when I was introducing you is, um, you know, kind of your Instagram handle, you know, the barbell doc, um, you know, what made you decide to want to start an Instagram account and kind of what led you to even picking that name? Um, Cause I know that that wasn't your original Instagram handle. Um, so kind of what's, that whole process been like for you? Yeah. So I think the, the main reason why I started my social media platforms is just that I could try in some manner to provide some sort of education to either other clinicians or just the general population that I thought was in line with current research for strength training, um, physical therapy, rehab, 
injury treatment and injury risk reduction, things like that. Um, I know that there's a lot of less than good information about this topics out on the internet. And I wanted to try and do my part to provide some what I thought was good information. Um, as far as the name goes, um, my original name was, I can't remember what the exact was, but including my last name, which is just an absolute pain in the ass to spell out. So I changed my name for two reasons. One was it's a lot easier to spell the barbell doc than Dr. Ryan Benuenheis. And it kind of um, puts, forth, puts forth this image that um, I want to and do specialize more in treating barbell athletes, powerlifters, quadriers, that sort of thing. And it's just a little bit catchier. In some, in some yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, I feel your pain on the, uh, the last name struggles there. Um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of different variations of my own and a lot of times it's misspelled as well. So I definitely, uh, understand that, that struggle there. Um, yeah, you know, again, you know, besides, you know, staying on top of, you know, evidence for your, for your own practice can be relatively hard. And, you know, I know you said that you wanted to make it as a resource for, for other people. Um, you know, is that, you know, how time consuming is that? And does that at times get stressful, like creating content and, you know, managing yeah, that it's sort of thing it does take a lot of time um ever since i started with social media i think i started my page a little bit over two years ago um i've tried to be really consistent and post every day as much as i can so it, it does take time to think of whatever topic you're going to post on actually create whether it's video picture uh, captions all that sort of stuff and none of that stuff is really quick um, as i've done it more become more efficient at it the time that it takes to actually put out a post has decreased uh, but it still does take quite a while each week um and it's even though it is something that does take time it's something that i've found to be pretty rewarding um i feel like i've been able to help a lot of people just through um those online resources more than i would be able to if i was just reading in the clinic without actually um having that platform from which to put out my message from my point of view yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, definitely, definitely allows you to get your, your message across to a, a lot bigger, um, audience than, you know, you could do just in, in the clinic yourself. Um, so I think that's awesome. Um, do you ever look back at any of you? I know you said you've had it for about two years. Are there any posts that, you know, stick out in your mind that you look back at and you're like, ah, I don't know why I posted that or, you know, I oh, would yeah. change that. There's, there's definitely posts that I look back and I'm like, Jesus, Ryan, like that was just stupid. Um, cause research and all that sort of stuff is always changing especially in like the pain and injury sort of field and my thought processes on a lot of various rehab topics has changed pretty substantially since i got out of school um like for instance one of the first things i did as a new grad was i became sfma certified which is basically just like a type of movement assessment and while it, it does absolutely have its uses, um, there are some principles in the SFMA that don't really stand up to a lot of current knowledge. Um, so a lot of like my previous flexibility versus mobility posts and that sort of stuff is something that I've since changed my opinion on. But I mean, that's just the nature of the field. You're going to learn and as you continue to learn, you're going to realize that you were wrong about things and you'll never truly stop being wrong you're always going to be wrong about something but you just have to know that that is what's going to happen you have to be okay with it and then you have to be okay with admitting when you are wrong and not just 
blatantly sticking by your guns when you get called out and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you were able to look back on a post, you know, two years ago or, or longer and say like, Oh no, I was dead on about that. You know, there's probably <laughs> something a little a suspect about that because, yeah. you know, things definitely change a lot, especially in, in our field. Um, so I think, like you said, that's kind of just a part of a process and, and, and growing, um, which is, you know, just what we're trying to do. Um, do you ever get any, let's say, I don't know, pushback or people kind of, you know, that don't agree with some of the posts that you make and, you know, how do you manage those kind of, uh, arguments over social media if you do come across that? Yeah. I mean, so a lot of what I put out on social media has to do with things like posture, stretching, manual therapy, foam rolling and stuff like that. Um, because people really become attached to those things and they really invoke a lot of emotional responses. And what we know now is things that things like posture and instruction aren't nearly as important as we once used to think that they were. Um, a lot of manual therapy doesn't really do what we were taught it does in school or what we used to think it does. And when I put out posts challenging um, people's beliefs on those topics, you do get a lot of pushback. Um, I think one of the biggest examples of this was I put out a post talking about how biomechanics is more important for like movement or lifting efficiency than it is for injury risk. And that was something that I got a ton of pushback for. Um, so when you do get somebody commenting on posts like that, that's going against your viewpoint, then I really just do my best to try and support my argument with relevant research. And then if somebody is just going to disagree with that and not read the research or anything like that, then there's really nothing you can do to change their mind anyways. And you just have to accept that. Um, when I first started with this and I got more pushback on certain posts, I was initially more like argumentative with people. Like I would really try and drive my point home if they weren't agreeing with me. And more often than not, that just backfires and you both end up spinning your wheels and not getting anywhere. Um, so now I've, if somebody argues against one of my points and I present some counter argument and they're still just not having it, then, I mean, it is what it is. Not no big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some people getting fired up on there and <laughs> having to hold yourself back from, you know, like you said, you can only do so much in trying to change someone's opinion, but when it involves a topic that does invoke a lot of emotion, um, you know, some people have really strongly held beliefs. And when you're going and attacking those, it's can definitely bring up some emotions and, you know, spur some arguments, but you know, you can only just do what you can to provide them with, you know, the, the evidence that, you know, you're kind of, that's kind of that you're, you're believing in and, you know, what's, what is kind of current. Um, and then, you know, at least showing them that information and then hoping that they can, you know, at least consider it at least versus just kind of shutting it down. Um, Cause do you, what, what, you know, how many of the people that you actually kind of send evidence to, do you think actually read it or do they just start with their other, or, you know, they, you send them, you know, one or two journal articles and they come back in the next 30 seconds and you're like, all right, there's 0% chance you even open that link. Yeah, probably very few. Um, I've only ever had a couple of instances where I've been debating with either another clinician or just um, somebody who's interested in the topic at hand. And very few times have they actually said that they were going to read it, come back several hours or the next day, and then actually provided um, further argument to the um, 
topics actually in that article or that piece of research. And it's unfortunately, it's a lot less than I would like it to be. I would like everybody to read the research <laughs> that I put out, but that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I definitely appreciate, you know, a lot of the posts that you put out and, you know, I know I definitely have sent a few of your posts out to, to people, you know, that either I coach at the CrossFit gym that I coach at. Um, you know, I like to, you know, I think you're definitely doing a great job with that page and hopefully you continue to keep that up. Um, can you give us, uh, you know, a little bit of, of background information on maybe, uh, you know, for those that don't know, um, what you kind of have cooking up, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, with kind of, you know, dealing with the, the current pandemic that we're dealing with, but, uh, you know, any information on where people may be able to, uh, you know, find you at if they were interested in, in getting some help with an injury or dealing with some pain. Yeah, absolutely. So ever since graduating, it's always been my goal to have my own clinic that kind of really focuses on treating this population. So before this pandemic began, I had actually just left my previous place of employment to open up a physical therapy clinic inside of the gym in which I train, which is Revolution Fitness Clubs in North Haven. Um, unfortunately, COVID-19 happened right at the same time and all the gyms got mandated to be shut down. So that's been put on a little temporary hold. But as soon as um, those mandates are lifted and the gyms are allowed to reopen, um, I'll be running that clinic inside of that gym and really focusing on bringing as much value as I can to that population and helping them out in the best way that I can. Um, so that's, that's my main source of, um, uh, let's say treatment or, um, participation with this sort of population. I also run a private membership-based Facebook group called Rebuild Barbell that's dedicated to, um, helping out clinicians, coaches, and lifters with various training and rehab-related topics. And that's been a lot of fun in this meantime. Um, that's obviously something that I've been doing since this pandemic started um, and because it's an online um, basically community you can run it seamlessly without the need for all these in-person meetings so that's been a lot of fun as well absolutely um you know was there anything you know i know you said that you've been practicing in you know the outpatient orthopedic realm for you know the five years that you've been out of school um you know was there anything or is there anything that, you know, with the current, you know, insurance-based model that uh, a lot of people typically deal with in that outpatient orthopedic um, setting, um, anything in your mind that kind of really pushed you towards trying to open um, your own business or, you know, that you would like to see change um, in the future? Yeah, I mean, in the three clinics that I've worked since graduating, they've all been the traditional in-network insurance-based clinics, um, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that model. Um, but in those models, most clinicians do see a pretty high volume of patients just to keep the doors open, um, often seeing multiple patients at the same time. And you're kind of limited in what you can do with that patient because of insurance reimbursement. There's been a number of times where I've been working with somebody who's a younger athlete and they've just come off of ACL repair and the insurance provider kind of dictates how many visits they'll get and whether or not they think that they're ready for them to return to play or to return to their full activity. And a lot of times I feel like people leave that sort of physical therapy environment, not fully where they should be or where they want to. Um, so the clinic that I'll be running inside of Revolution 
is an out-of-network clinic, meaning that people will pay the um, cash fee up front, and then they will get something called a super bill that they can send to their insurance provider, and they can potentially get reimbursed if they have out-of-network benefits. So I feel like for me personally, I like that model a lot better because it's all one-on-one care. It's really solely dictated by you and the patient, and there's no third party that's kind of running things from behind the scenes and sometimes may not have um, the patient's best interests in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's definitely, you know, especially in the case of, you know, athletes, you know, maybe that just had ACL surgery and, you know, running out of visits, especially if there's someone that's, you know, like a high school athlete, for instance, that has to return back to sport, um, you know, but if you only get a certain number of visits, you know, per year, and then, you know, you're kind of handcuffed by that, by that model, unfortunately, at times, and mm-hmm. I can definitely, you know, see where kind of wanting to, to move out of that realm to provide the best possible of care um, would you know, would be something that that's enticing, you know, but like you said, you know, not that that can't happen in that model, but it's just, you know, unfortunately you run into those situations a lot more frequently, um, so, you know, and definitely, you know, being that you'll be working out of a clinic that's based at, you know, in a gym, um, you know, is, are you going to have access to a lot of, you know, equipment that a lot of, you know, other outpatient clinics maybe wouldn't have available? Cause you know, again, if I think of a mental picture of a typical outpatient physical therapy gym, I'm thinking, you know, pink dumbbells, unfortunately, that's like, you know, a pound each again, not that those don't have their place at a certain time, but, uh, you know, not a lot of clinics go above maybe 10 pound weights, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the, pretty prototypical outpatient orthopedic clinic that kind of comes to mind. Um, luckily with access to the gym, I'll have access to squat racks, deadlift platforms, various types of specialty bars, kettlebells, um, strongman equipment like yokes and axles and all that good stuff. So I'll be able to kind of treat people how, um, I want to actually be able to treat them and how will align with their goals a lot. Because I'm sure that the vast majority of the people I'll be seeing, especially initially, will be more the powerlifter population, and they're going to be a lot more interested in doing various deadlift, squat, bench press variation for the rehab than they would like clamshells or sideline rotary cuff exercises and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, what you do with that and see you grow that. And I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun, um, you know, on your end as well, being able to, to really work with that population, especially in that environment with the equipment that you're going to have access to and, and the people that you're going to have, um, you know, surrounding you as well there. Um, you know, do you think that the physical therapy profession, you know, on the whole, I guess, you know, this is obviously more, probably more towards outpatient, but, um, you know, do you think we're moving in the right direction where we're starting to understand the importance of kind of what we've spoken about and kind of making sure that we're challenging patients appropriately and, you know, loading them appropriately to get back to the level of, you know, sport that they're returning to or the level of activity that they want to return to? Um, or are we kind of where we've been for a while? I definitely do feel like we're shifting in the right direction. Um, there's a lot more people in our profession who are now outspoken about utilizing strength and conditioning principles with our patient populations. Um, there's, again, the groups like clinical athlete and barbell medicine, they've been big proponents of this sort of practice for a long time. Um, so their voices are now being heard by more and more people, especially with the advent of social media. 
So I do think that we are going in the right direction. Um, obviously, we still have a lot of work to do. Um, there's still a lot of poor information out there, a lot of lack of understanding of how to best treat and assess these sort of athletes. So there's some continued work that we need to do, but that's just the name we did. We'll keep on going one step at a time and just try to spread this message as best we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Ryan, I definitely, you know, I think we, we covered a lot of information today. Um, you know, I think maybe what we'll end the, the show with today is, you know, just dropping maybe some contact information for yourself, whether that's, you know, on Instagram um, or the website that you have so that, you know, anyone listening that wants to get in touch with you or follow your stuff um, can, can do so, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. My Instagram username is the barbell doc. Um, the website for the uh, rebuild barbell membership sign up is rebuild barbell sign up dot squarespace.com. Um, that'll bring you to a little web page that has a little bit more information about what the group actually entails, as well as a link that you can register to sign up for it. And those are really the best ways of reaching me. Um, you can also email me at the barbell doc at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah. And definitely, again, for listeners that, you know, don't follow Ryan or any of his stuff, I highly recommend um, giving him a follow. Um, Again, he's someone I've looked up to in the field for, you know, a few years now since I've known him. Um, And hopefully, you know, you wouldn't mind coming back on, you know, at a future episode, you know, once you're up and running with your your clinic in the gym. And once we're through this pandemic, hopefully um, I can get you back on the show and we can kind of talk about how that's how that's gone for you. Yeah, man, we'll do a little update. Absolutely, man. And thank you all again for tuning in to today's episode of Mic Check. And please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so that you can stay up to date with all of the content that I'll be putting on here. Um, Otherwise, until next time.